When you turn in Revelation 18, I'm going to read to you Jesus' words out of Matthew chapter 25. And he is giving an outline of what's going to happen in the end time. He's given an outline of what's going to happen in the tribulation and then after the tribulation. And this is what he says <clears throat> concerning um, the latter part of the tribulation, concerning the Antichrist in Matthew 20, actually 24, Matthew 24 and verse 15, Jesus says this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of the desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then in parenthesis, whoever reads, let him understand. Verse 16, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in that day. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So when he speaks about the abomination of desolation, he's speaking about what Daniel prophesied, that the Antichrist, midpoint of the tribulation, is going into the temple, and he's going to declare himself God. And <clears throat> that's going to, that when we read chapter 17 last week of Revelation, and we saw the destruction of the false worship, that's what happens is that the Antichrist demands worship of himself. Until this time, even probably prior to the tribulation beginning, he uses the religion of the world to further his purposes. And religion always um, is not neutral. Religion has some political implications. It, it, it has social implications. It has uh, uh, this power behind it. And he uses that until he declares himself God and demands allegiance to himself. And, and Jesus is warning the Jewish people, when you see that happen, then flee, because judgment is going to come. In fact, he goes on, and he, in this he says that unless he cuts short uh, this time of tribulation, no one would survive. And so when we see in chapter 17 of Revelation the destruction of ecclesiastical Babylon, so these are the world religious systems that come together, united under the leadership of the Antichrist to support him, uh, then we move to chapter 18, and we're going to see uh, this end time that Christ is speaking about, the destruction of, of Babylon as a political, commercial entity. So in chapter 18 of Revelation, read with me the first three verses. After these things, John said, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So I think the people on the earth see the glory of this angel. This is not Christ. This is another angel. So they, they're going to know something's happening in heaven. Uh, the, the world is in upheaval. If you can remember where we've been through the, through the trumpets and, the, and the, through the seals and the trumpets and the vials, the world is in upheaval. We're probably right at the end of the tribulation time. And verse 2, he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. 
For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now think hard with me. Last week when we talked about the harlot, the mystery Babylon, the harlot, we were talking about this this is a religious system. It's a system a belief that is anti-God or anti-Christ. It's anti the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what antichrist means. There's going to come a person one day who is the antichrist. But the Bible says in the New Testament, there's been many antichrists. There's been a lot of people who are against Christ. There, there are many antichrists today. But So this system is antichrist. The religious system was antichrist. You don't need the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because you're really not a sinner. You just need some help to be a better person. So that's what religion does. Religion is man-centered. Christ, Christianity is Christ-centered. And so when you're thinking about that system, and now today in chapter 18, I want you to think about a system. Some people believe that this is talking about the city of Babylon, which would have to be rebuilt and could be and maybe will be. And I, I don't have a really definite opinion on that. I I, I think it's very possible that it could, that will be rebuilt. I want you to think about when I was growing as a Christian and hearing preaching and reading and trying to understand prophecy, I thought that the day the rapture took place, the tribulation started. Well, I don't think that anymore. I think the rapture takes place and then there's an indeterminate period of time when the Antichrist coalesces his power, and, and then at some point in time, the, the tribulation starts. When he has enough power, he makes, he renews a covenant with Israel, and that's when the tribulation starts. So there's this indeterminate time. So during that indeterminate time, Babylon could be rebuilt, uh, the, the city itself. But here, I think it's talking about, I'm going to say to you, a place and a system. And the system is the material world that's without Christ. It is the material, it's man, uh, man creating its own utopia, man creating their own power and authority and, and ruling the world without, uh, without God. <clears throat> I want to read to you out of Daniel chapter 7, and I wish we could read the whole, the whole chapter, but but we can't. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 19, we read this. Daniel says, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, and that which was different from all the others. So Daniel has this vision, and he wants to know about the fourth beast. And we've, gone, we've, we've looked at the beast in tribulation, and I mean in Revelation. And he said, He was exceedingly dreadful with his teeth of iron, nails of bronze, and devoured broken pieces, and trampled the residue with his feet. So Daniel had seen these successive kingdoms. He saw them as beasts. Nebuchadnezzar saw them as man's glory. He, Nebuchadnezzar saw them in a, an, an idol that was gold and silver and bronze and iron. Daniel saw them as these successive kingdoms, as beasts that would ravage mankind. So he said, I want to see this. In verse 20, uh, I, I want to understand the ten horns that are on its head, the other horn which came up before which three fell. We, we talked about that in Revelation already. That's, that is governmental kingdoms, if, if not countries, 
and, and, and one has prominence. There's three that rise up to prominence, but one has prominence over those, and that's going to be the Antichrist. And he said, um, the horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. But the court shall be seated. This is the court in heaven. If you went back, if we had time to go to Daniel chapter 2, we would see this is the Ancient of Days who comes and the court is seated with the Ancient of Days, with God himself. Okay, where was I? Verse 22. The court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion. This is the rogue king. They'll take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Whose kingdom? The Most High's kingdom. It's an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So this is prophesied 2,700 years ago for us by Daniel, and it's going to take place. John is now... 700 years after Daniel, approximately, John is now reiterating. He's seeing the same thing that Daniel had prophesied and, and that the prophets understood was going to take place at some point in time. They didn't understand the mechanics of it or how it would take place. John is seeing this come to pass when, when he reads this. So what is the system? The system, the Babylonian system, is, is the system of man without God. It is a system of the material world. Uh, today we see some evidence of that. And again, this is not a political statement, but we see some evidence of that in the climate change radicalism. Now, I think there is some climate change going on. That's just my opinion. You can have a different opinion if you want to. Again, I, I, you know, the climate does change. It changes this week to last week. It changes at different seasons. If you read a little bit of history and you're, if you're interested in that, you see that it has changed. I mean, it has changed. It does change. But it does it under the Lord's authority. It does it at his will. It does it at his bidding. And I think we should be responsible people who live from the earth. I think we should. You shouldn't throw trash out your car window. I think, you know, whether you recycle or not, I really don't care. But, you know, but, but you, we should be responsible people to the earth we dwell on. We have a, we were, we're to take charge of it and have dominion over it, and we're responsible for it, just like you are your house or your car or anything else. The earth belongs to the Lord, and we're responsible for it. So, again, I'm not preaching about climate change, but I'm saying to you, there is, there is about, but there comes a radicalism that if that's all there is, and that's our hope, we have to preserve it. 
And, and so somehow this Babylonian system is that it's about man's kingdom and what man has built and what man can do. And when that happens, there's always someone who rises to authority that rules over everyone else. You understand that? That's just man's nature. Man's nature started with, started with uh, the two brothers, um, Cain and Abel, and it's been going on ever since then. And it's in every family, it's in every nation, every tribe, it is in the church, it is everywhere. We have this desire to rule over other people. I'd have to confess to you, I play golf with a few guys from the church, and I always want to win. I don't always win, but I want to. <laughs> if we had a Bible drill and, and someone said, if you turn to Matthew 25, I want to beat you there. You know why? That's our nature. That's man's nature. Now, that's a little carnal, but that's, just, that's, it. that's what our nature is. So this is the system. James talks about it in, in James chapter 5 and verse 4 through 6. I don't know if I put this on the schedule or not, but listen, James chapter 5, verse 4. Indeed, the wages... Whoop, I skipped over. Um, okay, what I was going to say, James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do that come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. That is man's nature. That's the fallen nature of man. Unless it's governed by the Holy Spirit, that is my nature and your nature. And, and, and we would work that out in our world if we're not governed by the Holy Spirit. I put in other James 5, I believe in free enterprise. I think the Bible teaches free enterprise. I think it teaches um, that man is responsible. If you're an employer, you're responsible for your employees. It teaches that you're to pay a fair wage for fair work. And I, I think that's the free enterprise system. The Lord holds us accountable for that. That's what James says in chapter 5 and verse 4. Listen to this. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, which means you didn't pay them enough or you didn't pay them at all, they cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. And it's talking about you cannot have domination. The strong cannot have domination over the weak. So God holds us accountable for our relationship to each other, especially in commerce. God, God holds us accountable. But at the same time, he, the Bible teaches that you can own private property and that you can earn money and you can save it and you should save it. And the Bible says pass some to your children and not your children having to take care of you. And I'm not against that either if it's necessary. But how do I get in this mess where I talk about these things? But, but it's just free enterprise. You, you have free enterprise. But it's always balanced biblically. God said be a responsible person. Live in your world responsibly. Live in relationship to other people responsibly. Don't cheat people. Don't be dishonest. But be fair. Be generous. And actually we're to give to the poor. We're to be people who have a burden for the poor. We're to be people who are concerned about the rest of the people in our world as much as we can be. God holds us accountable for that as well. 
And so I hope you're involved in missions. Let me, let me promote the program of manna that we're involved in as a church. Manna feeds starving children around the world. And if, if that's, a, that's one of the best things. You know, every now and then, I, doubt, I don't doubt that you're like me. You pass somebody on the street corner, and you, they have this homeless sign, and if you don't give them anything, you feel a little bit of guilt. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and if you give them something, you feel a little bit of resentment. I won't ask you for an amen on that. But I want to say, if you want to, if you want to be involved in something that's legitimate and that's controlled by a local missionary, give to manna through the church. And your money will go to feed starving children I say starving, they'll go to feed underprivileged children uh, around the world. And it's a great, great program. I hope you're involved in that. So this system is, is man in control. It's anti-God. It is uh, all about power. I, listen to what G. Campbell Morgan says. G. Campbell Morgan says, This is a description of Babylon as she is seen from the height of heaven's order. It is a pronouncement of doom, but it reveals the reason for the doom. Her condition is that of being an inhab- habitation of demons. Okay, so, the, so the, the world system that's without God is a habitation of demons. If, if you remember where we've been in, in Revelation, I jotted it down in the notes. When the fifth trumpet sounded, there were demons released from the abyss. And then you remember... There was a third of the angelic host that were cast to the earth along with Satan, and they, we would call them demonic. And then, and when the sixth trumpet sounded, there were 200 million demons released from the Euphrates River and that area. And so John is writing, he's writing about this area of the world there. And so you have all this demonic presence and now, I'm going to veer off here from the Bible and just give you some of my opinion. If you, and you can throw it away afterward if you want to. That may be why Babylon gets rebuilt. is because Antichrist has this demonic herd at his bidding. You ever wonder when you're reading the Gospels that you see Jesus dealing with demons all the time. He's dealing with the demonic presence. And when we live in our, our world today, you don't have as much of that. And you, if you ever wonder why, it may be that they've been imprisoned until this end time. Not all of them, but, but until this end time. I'm not saying there's not a demonic presence in our world today. But I'm saying it's not, it doesn't seem to me to be as prevalent as it will be in this end time when all of these are released upon the world, and that it's going to be a horrible time. Now, what, what's a demonic influence do? The demonic influence, I, I don't believe a Christian, if I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you can't have light and darkness. So I'm never going to be indwelt by a demon. But I'm going to be influenced by the demonic lie, and the demonic lie is that I can live my life without the power of Christ indwelling me by the Holy Spirit, I can live my life without the Word of God guiding me from God's wisdom. See, that's the demonic lie. And it plays out in in many ways. It plays out in my own lustful desires. It plays out in my own 
lack of faith. It plays out. See, we're not under, we're not without the influence of, the, of demonic presence. I just don't think we are in. How do I say it? I, I don't think we have the demonic presence they had in the in the New Testament gospel time, because I think they've been imprisoned to some degree. That's just my opinion. I can't prove that. But if these are released, these two hundred million, those released from the abyss, the demonic presence is cast out of the, the out when it's out of heaven. It, they didn't become demons at that time. They have been demons, but they the demonic angels, but they've had authority and some presence in heaven in the heavenly realm because Satan was there, and and so now they're all on the earth. So if all of a sudden. Where did they, why were they in prison? So there has to be, to me, a reason for that. So I'm just reasoning with you this morning to think deeply and think hard. And so now it's present and they're powerful and they're wicked and they're antichrist and they're having an influence upon the whole world. So this is a, what is happening and, and at, at, at this time and before the destruction of Babylon. And why is Babylon going to, why is this system going to be destroyed? Why is the world going to be destroyed and be remade? Because it is totally anti-Christ. When we read this, about this full of demons and say that's the description, that's why it's going to be destroyed because that's what it's like. That's what the world systems are like. That's what the political systems are like. That's what the commerce systems are like. It's all based upon that. We see that more as we go through the chapter. And now there's a warning for us beginning in verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Now remember what the Lord said in Matthew 24 when he's talking to the Jewish people. When you see that abomination, desolation, the Antichrist going to the temple, flee. Okay, so when we're reading this, the Lord is saying to us from heaven, come out of her, my people. We're his people. The Jews are his people who come to Christ. And he said, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. So how do we not not do that? When, When we see that our world systems are corrupted, how do we not participate in it? We're in the world. We, we buy groceries in the world. We shop in the world. We contribute to the world. There's no way you can get away from the worldly system. But, but how, do we, how do we come out from that? Listen to what he says in verse 5. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities, rendered her justice as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her, in the measure that she glorified herself, and live luxuriously, and the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, the system says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Okay, that was a warning given to the end time, but it is a warning for us who dwell in this time because we're dwelling under this system. It's not as pronounced as it will be in the tribulation time. So, so how do I come out from this system? It's not that I come out from the world. 
I, I can't do that. Paul dealt with this in the book of Corinthians. And Paul said to the people who were living in that cesspool of morality, he said to them that you, you have to interact with people who are involved in that. You have to interact with them. If not, you have to come out of the world. That's what Paul said. But Paul said you don't interact with a believer who, who professes to be a believer and behaves that way and practices that. Then you don't have fellowship with that person. Okay, so Paul made a distinction. But, but the point I want you to make is that we live in this world. Okay, so how do we come out? And we come out by not trusting it. Our temptation, we, we live in a material world. I, I got up this morning, my, my house was cool, my water ran hot, the coffee came on automatically. I, I mean, you know, it's Disneyland, isn't it? We have to admit that. You know, it's just Disneyland. <laughs> we, we drove to church in an air-conditioned car. I could go on and on and on. I'm going to eat a microwave meal at some point in the near future. You know, we just, we just live in this... Okay, so do I forsake all of that and live out under a tree? No. What our temptation is, we live in a material world, and our temptation is to trust it. Our temptation is to see that as our security. Our temptation is to see that as our happiness. Our temptation is to live in this material world and desire it for itself. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our temptation is to think, if I, if I can hold on to this bank account and the stock market stays up or, or whatever it is, or my property values go up or whatever it is that's in your mind or whatever in your grasp that you own, our temptation is to think, if, if I can just make this last as long as I live, if I, can, if I can get a little more, if I can be, then I'll be a little happier, I'll be a little more secure, uh, th- this, is, this is trusting the material world. This is trusting the Babylonian system. And, and the Lord wants us to trust Him. Whatever He's given into my hand is His. I'm a steward. I- I'm to acknowledge that. It- 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 the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and I, I want to be the same person. If He takes it all away tomorrow, I want to be the same person. I'm not saying I will be. I want to be. Biblically, I should be if I have enough faith. And, and I may be suffering, but, but, it, but it's not suffering without hope or without faith, or it's not suffering, and it's not blaming God. You understand what I'm saying? For the most part in our class, we're, we're to the age that we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer physically. We're going to suffer mentally. We're going to suffer some... Uh, I was trying to explain to my grandkids one day about inflation. You know, we're, we're, we're going to suffer at some point if we live long enough that the money you have in the bank or in the stock market or under the mattress, it's going to buy less and less all the time. And you're going to come to the place that, that one day we'll pay 10 bucks for a loaf of bread. And, you know, we're, you know so it's just, it's just all these things are going to happen, to, but we can't trust it. That's the Babylonian system. You can't trust it. That's not our hope. Our hope is in Christ alone. Okay, I hope I made my point. But, but this system rules the world, it, and it rules us if we're not careful. And, and, and when we see, uh, I've told you before, I hate that ticker tape that goes across the bottom of the news every night that tells you what the stock market is doing. I hate that because I think about it. I don't want to think about it. You should say to me, Jerry, quit watching the news. Oh, good point. I'm back. 
I, I may do that. I don't take the paper anymore. I may quit watching the news. But, but you understand, we, we're so influenced by this system, we don't even recognize it in our own lives. And, and what a shame. And the Lord's giving us a warning. Come out from that. Come out from that trust. Come out from that mindset. The, the world is going to be destroyed, and everything in it is going to be destroyed. It's going to be remade new one day, but not this day, not this, day, not this administration, and not the next administration. And it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat. It's not going to be made new. It's going to be destroyed. Men are going to wax worse and worse until Christ comes again. That's what the Bible teaches us. John Bunyan wrote of, of going through Vanity Fair. And Vanity Fair is all the world's allure, thinking, you know, come to me, I'll make you happy. You ever go to a carnival and everybody, the, all the barkers are trying to get you to come to their booth? And, you know, it's, it's, it's this Vanity Fair. And, and he, he warned us of that. I want you to think about the days of Noah. Think about the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about the fool who had many barns and said to his soul, Eat, drink, and be merry, because I have all these things. And the Lord said, you're a fool, because this night your soul's going to be required of you. So see, we fall into that trap. So we're to come, we're to come out from that. I don't think it's a, a warning about losing your salvation. I think it's a warning to Christian people about, I think what Jeremiah said, that don't forsake the living water for a broken cistern in, in your life. We read in verse 8, the latter part of verse 8, when he said, Strong, she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. That came out of Jeremiah chapter 50. It won't take time to read it. One other thing about this. Paul said in Acts chapter 16 that God has allowed the nations to walk in their own ways. So God has allowed that. God has allowed the system to rule because of the curse of sin. And, and God has allowed it, but he's holding him accountable. Paul also wrote in Galatians 6, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. God will have vengeance upon this system, and, and God will hold her accountable. That is the fall of Babylon, this Babylonian system, and maybe the city itself as the headquarters of the kingdom of Antichrist if it's rebuilt. All right, look at verse 9. The kings of the earth, and this is the reaction of the world, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her, of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for one hour your judgment has come. One hour. And this immediately at this time, the destruction come. This system is destroyed. When I think about the, the, the plagues that have come during the progression of the tribulation time, you, you remember the, a third part of the greenery and the world's burned up, a third part of the rivers turned to blood, and the fresh water turns to blood. You know, earthquakes come, the mountains fall, uh, the cities fall, you know, and, and so civilization is collapsing. And, and it, it, it's, it's sudden. It's in this three-and-a-half-year period, and, and it's, that's like one hour in the course of history. So one hour is not literally. It doesn't mean there's an atomic bomb and it just goes away. But it means that this is just falling in on itself. You, you probably saw on the news when they collapsed that condo down, in, or you may have saw the first one collapse on, 
even downtown here, when you see on the news these buildings collapse, I mean, just, you know, you see them, you see the explosion, the smoke, and then they slowly fall in on themselves. Just, it's interesting to me. That's what our society is doing. We're falling in on ourselves. Our world system is collapsing, not because of a lack of resources, not because we're destroying the earth. It is simply because that mankind is desirous of power and we're doing anything we can. Mankind is ruling over other people, nations, tribes, and countries, and, and they're doing it with money and they're doing it with commerce. They're doing it with political power and the system is collapsing. And the world sees it and is frustrated. The world wants a utopia. They want to, the, the, the powers in the world want to control. So the kings of the earth who are involved in this, the leadership of the earth, uh, they've committed fornication with her. We've already talked about what that means. It, it, it doesn't mean the sexual act, but it means that they've been involved. This is their hope. This is, this is their dreams. And whatever's happening is going to happen quickly. And then you come to verse 11. In verse 11, we, we read about um, the strata of society that, that he's talking about most. And I think we fit in this. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silver, scarlet, every kind of crichton wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, Incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and the bodies and souls of men. Isn't it amazing you read through that? We have a lot of that. We're wealthy people. And, and, the, and the, you may not think of yourself as a wealthy person, but if, if you listen to that litany that I gave you this morning, that was your life too, about when you awoke and all those things in your house. And we have those things. We're part of this. Now, it may not be our hope. Hopefully, that's not our hope, but we have part part of this. And if all that was taken away, who would you be? Where would your happiness be? Where would your joy be if all that was taken away? And when we read this, and we see that the Lord's collapsing the world system, that people will recognize their need. He's fulfilling his word that he's given, beginning with the prophets of Israel and then given to us in the New Testament. He's fulfilling his word. Verse 15, the merchants of these things which became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city which was clothed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Alas, alas, it is gone. For one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster all who traveled by ship, sailors, as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out. When they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Years ago we were transferred from Midland to El Paso and and I was a salesman, and one of my customers was down on the, on, on the river, on the border, had a big warehouse, almost as big as the church. It was a massive warehouse, and I sold direct shipments to him, and for the most part, they sold it into Mexico. 
I don't know how, I don't know how, but anyway, they sold it in New Mexico. <clears throat> and so it was, a, it was a big customer for, for our company. And while we lived there, we lived there about two years and, and left there to go to Bible college. But while we lived there, the peso devaluated. So if I remember correctly, and I'm pretty close, uh, it was like six pesos to a dollar. And so just think about the warehouse that I took. If you've ever been in the down on, the, down on El Paso side, uh, right downtown, there are, almost, there, there are thousands of people come across that bridge every day, or used to. They come across that bridge every day. They really had free access, and they've shopped in El Paso because the, El Paso had goods where Juarez didn't have those goods. And all of a sudden, one day, they devaluated the peso. While we lived there, they devaluated the peso. And it went from 6 to about 16. So imagine that in one day, your buying power, if you were coming across that bridge, buying in El Paso, your buying power, where you're, whatever you were buying for a dollar now costs three. And, and, and it, it was devastating. It was devastating for the trade. It was devastating for my customer. It was devastating for me as a salesman, you know, to that customer. It wasn't the only customer I had, thank goodness. But, but you know, just in one day that happened. And, and today it's about 20 to a dollar. And, and that's not the whole story because a dollar is worth about half of it was 40 years ago. So that's not the whole story either for, for those people. But all of a sudden, they couldn't buy those goods. They couldn't afford them any longer because their wages didn't go up. If you're a student of history and you remember what happened in the stock market collapse and, and you, in, the, in the early part of the, the 20th century and, and, you, and you see the bread lines and you know the, the stories and maybe somebody in your family, you know the stories that you couldn't find a job, you couldn't, you, you know, whatever you had in the bank, the banks immediately closed and, they, and the system collapsed. And, and people were fed by going through soup lines. And, and, and in the United States, we're talking about, if you've been watching the news and you see what's happening in Cuba, the people are rebelling in Cuba because the, their system is collapsing and there's no food. And they turn the electricity off because they can't produce electricity. So they're, they're, the people, the poor people are suffer the worst and the wealthy suffer because their wealth is not beneficial to them. But the poor people suffer the worst. And you understand, so this is real. It happened. We've, we've seen it in the last few years in Venezuela. If, if you read a little bit, you've seen it in Europe after World War II and prior to World War II. You know, it, it, it's, just, it's just amazing that this happens over and over again, and we don't see it, and we trust the system. I am tempted to trust the system. I'm tempted to trust that I live in the United States of America, I live in Texas, and I have a few material goods, and I trust that. And one day, it is all going to be wiped away. And, and sometimes for people, we even know this, if, if you're a part of the forest fire on the West Coast, you're a part of the flooding on the East Coast, it can be wiped away today, and some people have insurance, and so it can be brought back. So we're not destitute, and we have a government that helps, so we're not destitute. But, but it just it can happen in a moment, and this is what's going to happen. And, and the warning for us, we're just not to trust it. We're not to trust it. How do I say it any stronger? I'm preaching to myself, okay? I'm preaching to myself. Don't trust it. Don't trust it. Quit watching that ticker tape when it goes by. Not that I have very much in there. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I mean, you know, the world wouldn't even blink about if mine went away. So, 
Bill's a different story here. But, you know, it's just, it's, just, they're just, it's just so tempting for us. We trust what we have. So that's the reaction in the world. The world is astounded. The world is flabbergasted. The world doesn't know what to do when these things happen. Now, what's the reaction in heaven? Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Okay, I want to read to you out of Jeremiah. I want to read to you out of Jeremiah. And if you read Jeremiah chapter 50 and chapter 51, it is a prophecy against Babylon. Um, chapter 50 and chapter 51 is a prophecy against Babylon. What I want you to get at the end of chapter 51, at, at these two chapters, of Jeremiah is writing a prophecy against Babylon. And, and when he comes to the end of it, we read this, that Jeremiah, verse 59, Jeremiah the prophet commanded Syria, who was the quartermaster of the king, and he commanded him, and they were going to Babylon. So Jeremiah commanded Syria to take this manuscript, which is the curse against Babylon, the destruction of Babylon. And he takes this manuscript, and he, and he says this to him. In verse 61, when you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words. So he's going to stand in Babylon and read these words of the destruction of Babylon. And then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. And now it shall be, Jeremiah said, when you have finished reading this book, that you shall tie it to a stone and throw it into the Euphrates. And then you shall say, thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary." Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. And then we read in Revelation 18 that when this happens, that a mighty angel, verse 21, took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it in the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. You know, when I read those, it makes me realize God has a plan. He's never deviated from his plan. God uses the sinfulness of man to fulfill his plan. God God doesn't create sinfulness, but he uses it. It doesn't thwart his plan. It doesn't change his plan. God is not a reactionary God. He's not reacting to what the political system in America does. He's not reacting to what's happening in Cuba. He's not reacting to any other thing. He is working out his plan that he's always given. And his plan is that one day this material system of the world is going to be destroyed. This hope that we have in the material system. When he recreates the world, it will be a material world. We will be material people living in this material world and enjoying the benefits of the material world. But by then, we will have the mind of Christ to the place that we will not trust it. We will enjoy it. We won't use it. We won't hope on it. We, we won't feel secure. We will, we will use it for what it was intended for, for the glory of God. We will eat for the glory of God. 
Remember, Paul said, whatever you do, do the glory of God. That's what we're going to do in heaven. Whatever we do, we're going to do the things we do now. I believe we'll have a job. We'll be fulfilling. It'll be to the glory of God. We we will eat to the glory of God. We will play to the glory of God. We, We will sing to the glory of God. We will interact to each other to the glory of God. But, and we will do it in a material world that was without the curse of sin. Aren't you glad about that? Without the curse of sin. It means that things work, and they work properly, and they work to our benefit. It works to our happiness in Christ. What a wonderful time that's going to be. And God knows it, and he's planning that, and he's... You know, you may wonder, let me take just a couple of minutes before... You, you, you may wonder... Well, why go to all the trouble? Why does God go to all the trouble? If he wrote that 2,700 years ago, why didn't he fix the problem then? If he had fixed the problem then, you and I wouldn't know the grace of God in salvation. Is that right? If he had fixed the problem then, the world since then wouldn't know the grace of God in salvation. So, God is patient, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. God has a plan. He's working it out. And and what his plan is that in this interim time from 2,700 years ago until the end of the tribulation, that God is calling out a people for his name. And that's our job. Our job is to make Christ known. And with our words, not just your life, with our words, we're to make Christ known. And, 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 And so God can call out a people for his name for its eternal glory. That is our job. That's why these things are taking so long. That's why there is a history. That's why there, and why it was a prophesied 2,700 years ago, and we have, we read the prophecy today, because it teaches us we can trust God. I can trust God. When I see the world collapsing, I can trust God. Okay, even though I die. Job said, and and Job was very fundamental, that even though he slay me in this flesh, I shall see God. You you have that hope? We come to the end of it here. And he said in verse 22, the sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpets shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman or craft will be found in you anymore. The sound of a millstone will not be heard in you anymore. The light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore. The voice of the bridegroom, the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. And, and, and what that means is that it means that this city itself is desolate. Or this system is desolate. There's nothing there anymore. It, it, doesn't, have, it doesn't have any influence at all. When, when, when God brings about the fulfillment of his plan, the material world will have no influence on us at all. We will use it, but not hope in it. And you know, and we should be doing that today. We should be using it, but not hoping in it. And then he ends with this. For your merchants, who were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her, the city, was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Is God fulfilled? Is God justified in his judgment? And my answer is yes, God is justified. Because this world system has been against the prophets and the saints all these, all these centuries. This world system is against the gospel of Christ. It, it, we, 
Remember, Paul said, we are enemies of Christ. I was an enemy of Christ. I was, before I was saved, I wasn't neutral toward God. I was an enemy of God. I was an enemy of the gospel. Now you say, how could you be an enemy of the gospel? Because I didn't, I didn't want it. Christ died on the cross for my sin, but I didn't want it. I, I, was, I was justifying myself. I was an enemy of the gospel. That deserves, an, that's an infinite sin against an infinite God, which deserves an infinite punishment. That makes sense to you? Okay, so here's our hope. This system is going to be destroyed one day, and, and we're going to get to, in the next few chapters, Lord willing, we're going to see a new heaven, a new earth. We're going to see when Christ comes. Next week, Christ's coming. We've gone through all this turmoil. We're going through all this tribulation. Next week, Christ is coming. Figuratively, the Bible. Maybe literally. Who knows? Before we come back again, Christ may come. But Christ is coming in judgment. Pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those who've gone before us, Lord, who help us to understand. We, we thank you for those who thought hard and deeply about your word. And, and Lord, given us uh, help in understanding it. And Lord, I pray you'd help us as we uh, go about our daily lives today to enjoy the things that you have given into our hand. But Lord, not to worship them, not to trust them, not to hope in them, but Lord, to enjoy them and to use them to be a, a blessing to whatever measure we can to those around us. And we will be grateful for what you do in us. In Christ's name, amen.